All right. Well, I want to invite you to grab your Bible with me. We want to go to our Bibles this morning to the New Testament book of Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. And we're continuing on this morning in our November message series, Plugged Into Prayer. And Ephesians is one of the letters of the Apostle Paul um, that has become part of the record of Scripture for us in God's Word that I want to speak from this morning. And if you don't have a Bible with you, you can, you can find one in one of the seats that are nearby you, or you can go to the Bible app, which, uh, which I've got on my phone. It's super easy to download as well, and probably one of the most uh, used apps on my phone, and maybe for you too. But as we take a moment to do that, you know, I, I just sort of want to pause to say I've got kind of a growing conviction these days. And it's this, that more than ever, we need to be people who are constantly in God's Word. We need to know God's Word. We need to filter life through what we read in God's Word. And we need to commit God's Word to memory, and we need to know our way around God's Word. Anyone in agreement with me on that this morning? We do. We need that more than ever. God's Word is the foundation of truth for our lives. It's his revelation to us. So this morning as we look at this passage in Ephesians from the Apostle Paul to talk about prayer, I'm not going to have it for you on the screen behind me because I want you to go there yourself this morning and follow along as I read with whatever translation, you know, you may want to use this morning. I'll be reading from the New International Version. But before we do, and before I read it, I want to point out that Paul's words in our passage in this text, in the original language of the ancient Greek in which it was written is basically one long run-on sentence. Even though like in our English translations, it, it's broken down to a couple of sentences, sentences. In the original Greek, you know, Paul just goes on and on and on. It's like he just can't help himself from pausing as he's talking about the greatness of God and what we have in God through faith in Jesus. And so in the original text, This whole passage of scripture for today that we're going to look at is all one long run-on sentence. And I I want us to read the whole passage, all of it, on account of that. But you'll be glad to know that I'm only going to preach on a little bit of it. But Paul writes this in verse 15. He says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And I want you to mentally underline that last phrase because this morning I want to talk about the importance of remembering others in our prayers. And then Paul goes on in verse 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the Spirit, capital S, of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power, Paul says, is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And then he closes up by saying, and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Paul's kind of way of saying this God who is everywhere and is so great. And may God bless the reading of his word today. 
You know, here in this text, this amazing text of the Apostle Paul about prayer, he's sharing with us what he has been praying on behalf of some people that he's actually never met, never had the chance to meet with, but he's been praying for them, and he's writing about it. And he's never had the chance to meet them because A, they're physically far away, and B, in his day, there's no internet, there's no Facebook, there's no Zoom, there's no postal service, there's no phones. He's only heard about them by word of mouth from some trusted sources as he was likely in the ancient city of Rome at this time, writing from prison on account of his faith. But, but Paul is a person who knows no boundaries because of what's going on in him in terms of his relationship with Jesus. And so it doesn't matter if he's a couple hundred miles away or even a thousand. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if he's in prison for his faith. He's a person of prayer, and he knows that that connects him to the one who is connected to all things. And so he doesn't need to have met them to begin praying for them because he knows that in God they're going to be connected all that he's heard about is there's this group of people who've recently come to faith in Jesus. And so he begins to pray for them. And he writes them because he wants them to know, hey, I am praying for you. And he wants to encourage them to take that next step in their journey because Jesus has so much more for them than what they've already begun to apprehend in coming to faith in him. There's a whole journey, relationship, and adventure in front of them still to come if they will press in and take that next step of faith in their journey. It's a journey that's different from his, but he knows it's the same truth for everyone in Christ. And so he's praying about that. And I just think, how awesome is that? Praying for people you've never met and writing to tell them that they might be encouraged, you know, in their faith. And I think that's an exemplary moment of scripture for us to be thinking about here this morning as we think about our own prayer life and who we might pray for. And who we might ask God to, to meet and connect with us. You know, we kicked off this series last week by looking at the prayer that Jesus gave us to pray for our own lives, for our own walk with him, for our own heart, for our own sphere of influence. And, and it's, it's come to be called the Lord's Prayer. And it's found in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6. And Pastor Dan gave us a great message on that last week, and if you missed it, I highly encourage you watching it on YouTube. We're all about the internet here this morning somehow. But for this morning, I want to talk about something that we, we don't do enough. Something is, that as followers of Jesus, we need to grow in, including yours truly. And that is being diligent in praying and interceding for other people. Praying for others. It's good to pray for yourself. But we need to also be praying for others. Jesus, on so many occasions, spent time with the Father in Scripture praying on our behalf. And he wants us to be like him, to be like him, and do the things that he did. And one of those things was praying diligently for, for you and I. And so he wants us to be like him. Paul's prayer in this passage is what theologians call a prayer of intercession. To intercede is to act, to intervene on another person's behalf. That's what intercession means. Intercessory prayer is, is prayer focused on asking God to intervene in someone else's life. You say, God, would you do the same thing that you've begun to do for me? You know, in them. 
And here in our passage, Paul's talking about the prayer that he's been actively praying on their behalf, even though they've never yet met. And I was thinking about this this morning, or sorry, this week, and I thought, you know, it it just got me thinking, have you ever had a moment in your life where you've wondered, is someone praying for me right now? Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever had one of those moments in life where you're like, is somebody praying for me, you know, right now? Where you feel like maybe there was a moment you were being carried through a a difficult situation or you just had a strength uh, to get through something in order to accomplish something maybe in your day that you're like, that wouldn't normally be the case for me. And you're just like, this is a bit of a head scratcher. And it's like a good head scratcher because you're like, is someone praying for me? Because that moment, that day just went a little bit better or something happened that maybe normally wouldn't have happened, you know, that maybe shouldn't have happened. And you're just thinking about that question. And I have to say, you know, just sharing with you my own life, like I have, I have a, a number of moments in my life that I have felt that way where I've wondered if someone's been praying for me, you know. In fact, I experienced that recently. Uh, just back in the beginning of August, I was away for a week-long uh, course uh, for ministry in New York City as part of the doctoral studies I'm, I'm currently doing that I hope will someday end. Um, but even though I've been in this program for a while, you know, it, it was my first time actually this past August being on campus, being there in person, because all of the, all of the courses and connecting has all been remote thus far, which for me, because of the pandemic, which for me has been awesome, because I just haven't had to travel. It's been way cheaper, way more convenient, and it's always good to be in person, but uh, it's just made it a little easier for me. But this was the first time I was there on campus. And because my student cohort was there together, am I saying that word right? Cohort? Just sounds odd. But my group of students who was on campus that week for this course, we were there for the first time and we got to meet one another in person together for the first time. And it was really good. And so because it was our first time in person, uh, a prayer time was set up for us as a group of students, and uh, it was really good. And so at the end of the Thursday afternoon, near the end of the week, I was, it was wrapping up the next day. Uh, each of us were invited to receive prayer from a couple of godly faculty members, and, uh, and they kind of prayed for us, just like, just like we pray for people here at Wellspring every Sunday, you know, after our services. And, you know, to be honest, it had been a big week of teaching and learning, and it was near the end of the day, and so I was tired. There was lots of lectures, uh, my, my fingers were sore, taking notes. My butt was numb from being in class all day. And I was just starting to feel kind of checked out a little bit, you know. And, uh, and so it came to be my turn for prayer. So I obediently sort of obliged. And I stood and I put myself forward. And uh, I just wanted to receive whatever God wanted to do for me, you know, in the midst of feeling tired. And so two of my profs, they came over and they laid their hands on my shoulder just like we did a few minutes ago. And, and they just began to pray for me. And they just prayed some really simple prayers. They just prayed that God would refresh me, that he would do greater things in my life for his glory. They prayed that God would deepen my faith, just simple God-focused prayers. You know, that's what they were doing. It was, it was really sweet. And as I said, I was feeling a bit spent. So this was no, uh, you know, holy moment that was happening. It was just some honest prayer under some ugly fluorescent lights in a classroom you know, at the end of a long day. But here's the amazing thing in that moment, at least for me, and it isn't always this way, but for that particular day, for whatever reason in God's heart, you know, as they began to pray for me, I suddenly felt my heart instantly warmed with like a, a, a feel, a fresh feeling 
of God's love for me. And in just a few seconds as they began to pray, I, I strangely felt the love of God kind of at a heart level. I know about the love of God, but as they prayed for me, I felt the love of God in a, a greater way in that moment, in a way I hadn't for a while. And I actually, it brought me to tears. I started to weep. It was a little embarrassing, and I fell to my knees in the moment, and I did not see that coming. And I'm sure the students beside me were just like, okay, this guy's a bit of a mess. He does need prayer. Look at that. You know, but it was totally unexpected. It was totally unexpected. And not only that, but a few other things that they actually prayed as well were just so specific to where I was at that week, even though I hadn't shared those things with those who were praying for me. And it just goes to show you that it's not about us when we pray. It's not, it is about us because we've got to step forward and say, I'm going to pray for someone today. Or I'm going to ask God for something. I, I don't have strength. I'm tired. I'm distracted. I'm, I'm whatever. You, add, you fill in the blank. But it's not, it's not about us. It's about what God will do in response to us. You can be a little checked out. You can be tired. You can be praying under ugly fluorescent lighting. And God will still move. He doesn't necessarily need a nice Sunday worship set of music. Or ambiance. I love those things. But God doesn't necessarily need those. He just needs the willingness of someone to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step out and take a sacrificial moment and pray for someone out of whatever little or a lot of faith he's given me for the moment. And perhaps the person receiving that prayer, just having a willingness to receive and not caring about being embarrassed or what other people might think or whatever other hindrance the enemy may whisper in your ear about saying, ah, maybe not. And so I walked away from that moment totally refreshed by God in a very surprising way. I collected myself, I got myself together, and, and that leads me to the coolest part of the story about someone who wasn't even there. I was making my way back to the, uh, the cheap hotel I was staying at and looking for a cheap meal when I got a text from someone back here at Wellspring who had, I don't even think knew I was out of town that week. And they texted me and said, Shane, hey, I'm not sure what this is about, but I really felt prompted to pray for you this afternoon. I just felt like God was asking me to pray for you, that he'd meet you in the way you needed. So not sure what that means. Just thought I would text you to share that with you. Hope that means something to you. Praying for you, buddy. And that was kind of it. You know, that was the message. I later, I later called him and shared with him how God met me that afternoon. I thanked him for immediately praying for me because I knew it wasn't an accident. And I knew that God was just downloading into my heart some fresh things that I needed to receive from him. And he didn't even know what those things were, and I'm still figuring them out. But intercessory prayer, it's amazing. It's amazing. I'll be the first to acknowledge that prayer is a mystery. Prayer is a mystery, friends. It's a mystery. Why God answers immediately in one moment and maybe not in the next. It's a mystery how God would burden someone to pray over here, to touch a person over here. It's a mystery how God prompts us at times and walks us into opportunities to see him move in the places of mostly the heart. You know, but in the wisdom of God, it's, it's often through our prayers that God chooses to release his work. That's what you see over and over again in Scripture. And it's funny how instinctual prayer is to the human being. We usually pray in those moments of crisis. It's just like, it's like our default mode. God, help me. It, we're wired for prayer. It's a mystery. 
And God chooses to use our prayers to release his work, not only in our own lives, but in the, in the lives of others. We come into the kingdom of God through prayer. We say, Jesus, would you, would you save me? Be Lord and Savior of my life. That's a prayer. That's a saving prayer. And God responds, and he gives us the gift of his spirit, and he writes his name in the, his book of life, and our destiny becomes changed on account of that moment where we prayerfully came before God. And so back to our passage here in verse 16, Paul writes, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I'm praying about all kinds of things in myself, but as I'm doing so, I'm also remembering you. I'm also remembering you. I'm remembering others when I pray. This past week, many of us wore a poppy to take a moment on Friday to remember. And it got me thinking, you know, who is God prompting me to remember in my God time, in my, my walk with God as I'm just having a moment in the car or in my office or on my couch in the early mornings to pray for? God wants you to remember people in your prayers, and you may never know how he'll respond. And it's not just those who you love or you feel fond about that God wants you to be praying for, you know. For Jesus said, I tell you, love your enemies, and get this, pray for those who persecute you. Are you kidding me? But that's the word. Pray for those who persecute you. And I think that Jesus said that because he knows that Prayer will change their lives, but also prayer will change your heart towards that person. It's really hard to hold a grudge and pray for God to bless that person at the same time. Like, it doesn't work. And I think that's by design, you know? And it's part of the reason God wants us to be praying for people we have a hard time with, because it changes us, as much as it will also perhaps lead to their life being changed as well. There's power in prayer. It's unseen. It's mysterious. It's not instant gratification. But there is power, make no mistake, in the release of your words before the throne of God in Jesus' name. You know, here in our passage, Paul says to those he's writing, he's been praying for three specific things, and I just want to very briefly highlight them before we land the plane and come to a time of remembrance and communion here this morning. And by the way, there are many passages in the scriptures, including from Paul himself, that talk about praying for specific needs like food, work, health, or help. But the greatest thing that each of us needs, the greatest thing, the, the need that trumps all of those temporary needs is, is that need for our hearts to be aware of the loving presence and character of God. That's what we need most an awareness of Jesus. Because when you're aware that Jesus is present and you're aware of who he is, your, your inner atmosphere changes. And you are able to move forward in faith when you know the God of the universe who's for you and not against you is with you. And so that's kind of what Paul's praying for, a greater understanding of the, of the very presence of God being with you in Jesus Christ. And so the first thing he says is in verse 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit, his spirit of wisdom and revelation. So why? So that you may know him better. And the word know in the original language is, is actually a, a word about knowledge gained by experience. 
It's experiential knowledge that Paul is praying for. Not head knowledge, though that's important, but a knowledge of the heart, you know, what we might call heart knowledge. You know, you can read up on a person that you're checking out on the internet. You know, you can read their bio. You can look up their photo. You can go to the church center app and maybe see if they have a profile there. You know, you can go to LinkedIn and see where they've been working and what their, their CV is all about in terms of their work life. But you have never met them or experienced them. You don't really know them. You know about them, but you don't know them because you don't have a relationship with them. And this is what Paul is praying for for them, that they would know him even better than they already do thus far. He says, I'm praying for the Spirit's wisdom and revelation that you might experientially know him more. You know, all of us need that prayer. We all need a greater experiential heart knowledge of Jesus. We need the knowledge of the word of God. But we need the knowledge that is here in a walk with him where through the Holy Spirit's help we begin to better apprehend his presence and his closeness and his character in all of the ups and downs of our life that can skew our vision of who he is. And just how connected we are to him through his gift of faith and salvation, you know. And honestly, that's what I was graciously receiving that day in that time of prayer ministry. That was also a time of intercession on my behalf that I didn't even know about. I was receiving a fresh heart knowledge of God's love for me. And it's what I needed. It filled my tank. I was up to the brim with head knowledge. But I needed a refreshing in, of heart knowledge. And so that's what... He prays for a greater experience of God's love and presence, really. And not just those things, but also hope. This is number two. The second thing Paul prays for for them is in verse 18. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you. Because you and I know that life can be hard. God doesn't keep us from difficulty this side of heaven. We have an incredible eternity that I would use an old-fashioned word to characterize called bliss that is coming for those who put their trust in Jesus Christ and what he did for them on the cross. But in the here and now, there's still a time of perseverance and trusting, and God doesn't keep us from difficulties, but he uses those and promises to do so for our growth, for our character refinement, for our faith, you know, to expand and increase. But in hope, in the context of hope, in the context of what's, you know, one day coming. And so life can be hard, and God doesn't keep us from difficulty. But his, his promise, though, is to lead us through it. Psalm 23 says, I will fear no evil for you are with me. But sometimes in the midst of life's trials, and sometimes through the difficulties and disappointments of what we thought, we can lose hope and we, we can lose sight of the goodness of God. We, we can forget he's actually with us even though we, we feel like maybe he's abandoned us and we've come to a false conclusion. And so Paul says he's praying that their eyes would be enlightened to the hope that they have because there may be days when they don't see it. And maybe you've had days where you don't see it. But if you're in Christ, you have an incredible hope and it's a hope for all eternity. And so Paul says he's been praying that their eyes would be enlightened that you would, you would see the glorious inheritance, he says, that is awa awaiting those who believe. 
All of us need God to graciously enlighten our heart to the hope that we have in him. The third thing that Paul prays for in this passage is, is for them to see more of God's power. In verse 19, he talks about God's incomparably great power for those who believe. And he goes on, he says, the power is the same as the, the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of, in the heavenly realms. Paul says, I'm praying that you will know God better. I'm praying that you'll never lose sight of the hope that you have. And third, I'm praying that you will have a greater experience of God's gracious power at play in your life. Not just knowing about his power, not just hearing about his power, but having a greater experiential knowledge of that power in your own heart and in your own life. What is that power? What is the power he's talking about? The greatest application of God's power in your life and in mine is changing our character. It takes a lot of power, I think, to change a person's character. It's the power to no longer sin. It's the power to say no to the world and and yes to God. It's the power to lay down your life in surrender, just the way Jesus did to the Father. And say, not my will, Lord, but, but your will be done. That's, that's the greatest application of God's power. It's to change us from the inside out. There are other demonstrations of God's power to physically heal, to open the door, perhaps, of a future opportunity that God would graciously give you in provision in some way. But it's changing you. That's the greatest application of power. And at the end of our passage, Paul reminds us how great God's power is. It's, it, it's above every other power. If you're looking for a changed life, this is where to find it, he's saying. In the life that you've begun with Jesus. So don't trail off to something else to look for more power because you've got it within you. In Jesus Christ. He says, his power is above all rule and authority. You read the words, power and dominion, every name that is invoked. And not only that, but in that ultimate place of power, if you flip over to the book of Romans in chapter 8, out of that position of being at the right hand of God, Paul says, Jesus himself is interceding for you and I. Isn't that incredible? He's still praying for us. He's interceding for the Father to keep intervening in our lives. And out of that, he wants us to be remembering others in prayer. And so there's many things that we can be praying for for one another, and we should be, of a practical nature. But at the top of our list needs to be these things that we see Paul praying for. A greater experiential knowledge of, of God's presence. A, a renewed understanding of the hope that we carry every single day, no matter how dark life may seem to be. And the access to his power to become a changed person if we would yield ourselves to him. Those are the things at the top of Paul's list as he prays for people. I want to invite the worship team to come and, and just help begin to help us position our hearts. We want to close today by coming to communion. And we're reminded that communion is a meal of remembrance. It's, it's remembering that what Jesus did for us on the cross 
is what made his saving and healing work in our lives possible. In the Old Testament, Isaiah 53, it prophesied that, that our lives would be healed through the Messiah's wounds. And so at the cross, Jesus first and foremost made a way for us to have a healed, a restored, a, a reconciled relationship with God by him with his perfect life paying for our sin, that separation from us and God. But also, you know, on account of what Jesus did for us on the cross in paying the price for our sin and giving us a restored or healed relationship with God, it is now the basis for us boldly coming before his throne and petitioning him for all our other needs as well and for the needs of those that God would burden our hearts for. And I wonder this morning as we just think about coming to this meal of remembrance of the foundation for our freedom to come to our heavenly daddy in the name of his son for all that we need what your needs might be in terms of you receiving a fresh work of his grace. You know, maybe, maybe you're like Susie, who shared a few moments ago, and just saying, you know what, I know you can do it, God, but I've, I've got a physical need, and I, I, I need your answer for it. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you're like me, you know, on that late Thursday afternoon, kind of tired, needing a fresh reminder at the heart level of God's amazing, you know, love for you. Or maybe you have a need for something else, but the basis of your acceptance before God, the basis of your freedom to call upon God is what Jesus did for you and for me at the cross. And he wants us to always remember that. Why? Why? Because he wants you to know. He wants me to know. It's not what I do that ever earns my place with God, that ever earns my ear with God. It is what he has done for us. And I just think, how freeing is that? How freeing is that? We just get to draw upon what he did for us. That's the invitation. Would you stand with me as we prepare our hearts this morning? I want to pray that the Holy Spirit this morning would give us a greater heart to receive. Not a greater heart to do because there's no earning before the cross. It's all by grace. It's receiving on account of what he did for you that makes the way. It's, it's not our righteousness. It's, it's not the feebleness of our efforts. And so if, if you're like, I have not been very consistent with God. I don't, I don't feel very close with God. I've hardly ever prayed in my, in my life. All those things don't matter. What matters is not what you've done but what he's done for you. What matters is you're in this moment and you're like, Jesus, I see my need for you. I see my need for you. And I want to call upon you as Lord and Savior and the one who can wash me clean of all of my failings that are before your throne. And so, Heavenly Father, we just come before you this morning and we just want to come to this meal of remembrance and honor and worship of you. 
We just thank you for the blessing that is now ours because of what you did for us, Jesus. And so we come in sober remembrance, but also celebration of this thing you've done and offering up your very body and your, your very blood. You were the, the sacrificial lamb of God given for us. Your life was perfect in every single way, and yet you gave it up to be a substitute for the atoning work of God in our lives through your broken body and shed blood. And so we now come, Lord Jesus, to remember you. And this is a meal for all those who are calling upon Jesus as Savior this morning.